Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. So today we're concluding our series, Reasons to Believe, by addressing this ancient, modern question by believers, non-believers alike for centuries. Why does God allow suffering? So if you would grab your Bibles, your smart devices, your Bible study outlines, as we address this problem, this question that many, many have. So, by the way, if you say, I'm a Tennessee fan, that does not qualify for suffering, okay? Sorry. (laughs) Merriam-Webster gives us a little glimpse into suffering with some of these words. Pain, agony, heartache, despair, misery, sorrow. Maybe some of those hit home maybe what you have walked through or walking through in your life. So I think of St. Jude kids. How many of y'all have knew St. Jude family? Thank God for St. Jude, but we had one a few years ago, and and now he's with the Lord. Like, wow, God, why? Or how about school shootings? Too many of those were children, boom, gone like that. No sense, no reason. Let's bring it home here. Last week, we lost a beloved staff member, Bakita Heath, who's ministered to literally thousands, and many of you through all of our ministries, only in her 50s, and she suffered terribly with this disease the last few months. Okay, God, I don't understand why. Why so much suffering, heartache? Sorrow, if God's Almighty, and He is. You believe God's Almighty, church? He is Almighty God. God's a healer. But sometimes we don't see that healing, that deliverance, this side of heaven. Sometimes we don't see it for a while. So that's why we must address it through the Word. George Barna, America's leading religious pollster, was commissioned to. Ask America, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? Overwhelmingly, the question was, why so much suffering in our world? So listen, lost world scratches their head and doubts God. I'll tell you, there are believers that doubt God. Like, I know he saves me, but why, why is this happening? So we want to look at that through God's word. So what we're first going to do is going to go back to the book of Genesis, to the book of beginnings, and find out where suffering comes from. So on your outline there, the first thing is, it doesn't come from God, not from God. You can jot that down, not from God. I want to give you a glimpse into that first creation. Look at this video right here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
How amazing would it have been to be back there to see all this wonder and mystery and majesty of God's creation? You think God messed up any, anywhere at all? Not at all. God looked at it, Genesis says, looked at everything he had made, and behold, everything was very good. Okay, so now we need to move ahead to chapter 2 to understand this thing where something came from. Chapter 2, you can join your outline. Humans have free will. Humans have free will. Genesis 2, we read, The Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So here we see the gift of free will given by a sovereign God to man and woman. Now, who doesn't want free will? I mean, it's, that's a pretty special gift from God. Let me tell you, if you've ever been incarcerated, all right, ask, if you know someone that has, ask them what it's like to not have free will. And you may say, well, Chuck, I'm a teenager. Okay, you'll be 18 one day. Free will will come for you. But free will is the gift of God to us. Now, when God gave us free will, the ability to make our own choices, get this. Now, he also opened up the universe to the possibility to include suffering. Now we move ahead to chapter three. Look at this, jot this down. Satan has temporary and limited control. It's temporary, limited control. And your outline, circle t- limited and temporary. Thank God for that. But a sovereign God gave this ability, and we're gonna explain why. In Genesis three we read, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say? Now, let me explain this. The serpent. Now, serpent, bad, evil. Well, some of you may have pet snakes. Not me. I run from them. Okay. But back then, the serpent God created, chapter one, was good. Oh, wait a minute. This don't sound good. Satan indwelled this serpent, took the form of this serpent here. See, the serpent talked to Eve. You don't see where Eve was shocked that this serpent's talking to her. This serpent could talk. What an amazing creature this serpent was. So Satan, I'm going to take that serpent and I'm going to mess up what God did. See what happened? Satan, most theologians, Bible scholars believe, Satan fell between Genesis 1 and Genesis 3. Satan was Lucifer, the anointed cherub. But sin, original sin, began with him. He fell. Now he spends the rest of his existence in trying to destroy God's good creation. And it begins by deceitfully twisting God's word. Now, if you're walking through something in your life, or you've got decisions to make, or you're walking through a storm, there's uh, questions in your life, Satan is going to try to twist God's word. Be careful of that, that you don't allow that to happen. Because Satan has a terrible plan for your life. The Apostle Peter says it like this. Listen, be sober-minded, be watchful. For your adversary... The devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He wants to destroy you. So why does God then allow Satan in here? Okay, it's like this. Free will is only free will if it has options. Satan makes sure there are options. Unfortunately, those options are away from God and towards sin and self. Now I want to try to explain this to you with a, a parable. In the beginning, God populated the earth with broccoli, cauliflower, and fresh fruits so we could live healthy lives. Then Satan created Krispy Kreme donuts and said, choose. 
And we said, ooh, can I have jelly filled? Then God gave us farm-raised, grass-fed beef. Satan said, would you like fries with that? We said, supersize me. Then God brought forth running shoes so his children might lose those extra pounds. But Satan then gave him cable TV and unlimited streaming options. So man chose that flickering light and the couch and gained more, more, more pounds, eventually ending in cardiac arrest. But God in his goodness created quadruple bypass surgery. (laughs) Then Satan created out-of-pocket insurance deductibles. So maybe kind of funny there, but the point is Satan and our free will is where things got all messed up in the garden. So, but God, but God, he's a God of redemption and restoration. This book has a scarlet line of redemption through it. And this book is a book of hope for the hurting, strength for the suffering. So it's important for you and I, this side of heaven, to have right perspective from God's word on when we see trials and struggles in our lives. So the beloved pastor, A.W. Tozer, says this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let that sink in. How do you think about God? Is he a big, angry God? Is he a distant God? Way out in the galaxy. He's not really connected with me. How do you think about him? Listen, the way you think about God defines you. Belief determines behavior. So we want to think of God biblically, particularly walking through trials and struggles. So first thing I want us to see here is God's will is always good. You can jot it down. God's will is always good. And I chose Romans 8, 28, most beautiful verse to me to confirm this. Paul says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God. Now, in your outline, circle the word no. See, the Apostle Paul didn't say, and we feel that God's working all things for good. No. He said we could know because many times we won't feel things are working good in our life. We won't see God working. Is God working? Yes, he is always working. Paul said we can know, see, the authority of Scripture. Listen, my childhood, my teenage years, into a young adult, I didn't feel good about my life. Many of you know it. I never knew a father's love, never met my father. Mother was an addict, an alcoholic. We lived in a little inner city apartment in downtown Chattanooga. I never had a friend spend the night with me my whole teenage years. I was so ashamed of my life. And I didn't feel good about that. But God in his sovereignty sent a couple from Tennessee Temple Seminary to my inner city neighborhood, shared Jesus with me, started taking me to church. My mother let him take me to church as a little eight-year-old. Eight, nine, 10, 11, I started going to Sunday school, we call it back then, and sitting here in the Word of God. One day, I was about 12 or 13, I heard Lee Robertson preach this verse right here. And we know, he said, you can know the promises of God, even the bad things, God's working all things together for your good and for his glory. So, here I had this promise to hang on to. And listen, I still, there were times I cried myself to sleep at night worrying if I had hope or a future. But yet, I'd get back to church. I'd pull my Bible out they gave me, and I'd read this verse again. The promises of God. It's verses, and, and I found these other verses. And the pastor said, listen, 
put your name in there, it's God speaking to you. Like this verse here, Chuck, do not fear for I am with you. Don't be afraid. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Or look at this verse here. He, Chuck, if God's for us, who can be against us? Put your name in there. Chuck, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And in my favorite, Chuck, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Those were promises that a little 13-year-old, 14, 15-year-old had to hang on to if I had any hope in life. Let me tell you this. These were promises I could know. Paul said, we know. Now we feel we know. Don't let what you don't know, your question, your heartache, your struggle, don't let what you don't know keep you from believing what you do know, that God has a divine plan for your life and loves you and is working all things for your good. So I was on this new dimension of the Christian life, that of trust, all right, trust. And, you know, I know adults, we learn to trust. But as a teenager, I, I had to do this. That's all I had, trust. And there was this old song, some of you may know the lyrics, God is too good to be unkind. God is too wise to be mistaken. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. So I was beginning to trust him. And I would pray to God, God, please deliver my mother from her addiction. Please give me a father. Please give me a hope in life. And to me, it was God saying no. I wouldn't get an answer. Sometimes you're walking through something, they're not be a, no, a yes like you want right now. That doesn't mean God's a bad God. He's working it for good. But during those times I'd get a no from God, I still had to trust. And I learned this truth here. You see it up here. God's no is always based on his no. You see, that's not grammatically correct, but it's theologically, biblically sound. Because God's knowledge of our life, he sees what he's doing in our life, is much smarter than us. In Isaiah, he says, my thoughts are far above your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways. So when I would get that no from God, I would just, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. It's hard, but I'm going to trust you. Listen, let me ask you this. How many of you have been encouraged by these profound lyrics of the renowned theologian T. Garth Brooks. Some of God's greatest gifts, unanswered prayers. Especially at that 10th or 20th high school reunion. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Hug that wife a little tighter, buddy. So sometimes God, it seemed like he wouldn't answer or things were, uh, uh, he was allowing in my life. How would I handle this? Here's the thing. I'm gonna say this. Some things in life, there'll be experiences that we won't have an answer for this side of heaven. We get to heaven, we probably won't care about an answer. See, there's some things we won't have an answer. But God sometimes pulls back the curtain of his sovereignty and gives us a glimpse into why struggles happen in our life. And I jotted through on your outline there, and I just want to briefly look at these. One is to get our attention. Sometimes he wants to get our attention. Look at this verse from the book of suffering, Job. Those who suffer, he delivers in their suffering. He speaks in their affliction. So sometimes God speaks to us. Jonah, we all know the story of Jonah. So Jonah, a prophet of God, God says, I want you to go preach for me. Jonah says, no way. And he runs the other way. And we know the story. He gets thrown in the ocean to die. God sends a big fish, swallows him up. And while he's in this giant fish belly, 
The Bible says he started praying to God. And then later he gets on dry land. He goes preach the greatest revival, known revival in that history in Nineveh. So God got his attention. Has God been trying to get your attention? Listen to what God is saying. Uh, C.S. Lewis says it like this. I love this. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, so is God trying to say something to you and you're not hearing the word of God. You're not hearing from small group. Sometimes suffering will come in your life so he can get your attention. But the second thing, and I believe all believers experience this, suffering to make us more like Jesus. Apostle Paul says this, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I think most of us know we are created to be like Christ. So let me ask you this, my friend, how can we become like Jesus? The man of sorrows, the son of suffering, unless we do like the apostle Paul, experience the fellowship of his sufferings. Now I understand how that works, but yet we see it in nature. One of the examples many of us have from middle school science class is the caterpillar. How does that little wormy caterpillar, how does it become the beautiful butterfly? You remember those middle school science films? We would watch that caterpillar get in, it almost die, and get in, in what would look like a coffin, his own cocoon, you know, the whole thing. All of a sudden, it'd struggle, struggle, and break three, and gorgeous butterfly come out of that. That's you and I. God is, is molding us to be like Christ who suffered. Look where he is. He looked ahead, endured the cross, that suffering, and now enjoying the glories of being our risen Savior. So if we're going to be like Christ, sometimes we may have to go through things. But thirdly, this thing here is sometimes we'll go through suffering to help others. Look at this from the Apostle Paul. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Sometimes you're going to have to walk through something to help someone else with something. Years ago, I led a mission trip to Africa for our college students here. Matter of fact, Haley was on that mission trip. We're in Tanzania, Africa. And I met with our two weeks. I met a young man named Isaac, about 18, 19 years old, precious young man, and so he, as we hung around, worked in the, in the villages with orphans, he asked me, he said, Pastor Chuck, what's your story? So I told him my story about my upbringing. And I'll, I'll never forget this. He has tears come down his face. And he says, he says, Pastor Chuck, I love he had this sort of British African accent. Pastor Chuck, God has sent you for me. I said, what? He said, my, he told me his father was an alcoholic who beat him and his mother. And so they had to move away to another village. And he said, now I know. You said God will help me and carry me through. And now I want to share God's message like you have. Wow. Who could use a 30-year-old story when uh, I didn't think I was going to make it in life, 15, 30 years later, 15,000 miles away, to encourage one precious soul? Only God can. He will use your life. You realize in your brokenness that the cracks are where the light shines through. 
Your hurt can be someone's healing. Your brokenness can be someone else's breakthrough. Your disappointment can be someone else's deliverance. Are you ready to let the light shine through? So that's a a central truth that God is working all things for your good, for his glory. But also this final thing here is God's perspective is always eternal. Jot that down. God's perspective is always eternal. Listen, I get this. Eternity is a hard concept to grasp. Um, You know, we as humans are bound by space-time limitations. You know, the second hand only moves clockwise for us. But the God of the universe, who created this universe with four dimensions, does not exist within them. Isaiah, the prophet, said, you are the high lofty one who inhabits eternity. Moses, the liberator, said, from eternity to eternity, you are God. And my favorite description for God's eternality is John the Revelator. Look how he says this. He says, you're the Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, who is to come. And I'll stop there a minute. Look at that. Who was, okay, none of us was. We were conceived and born. God always was. He said, who is, but who is to come? We're not is to come. We're right here. We live in the present. You know that? We talk about the future. We don't live in the future. But God's all that. And he goes on to say, you're the one who lives forever and ever. Wow. You say, well, Chuck, okay, of course God's eternal, but you are too. In Ecclesiastes, he says, he has planted eternity in the human heart. In Genesis, we read that we were created in God's image. God could use another image. He used himself. So you and I are made to be eternally with him. He created you to live with him forever. He got on the cross and stretched his arm this wide to show you how much he loved you because Jesus would rather die than live without you. So you are created eternally to be with him. Now I know because I've walked through things with many of you here, whether it be sorrow, grief, disappointment, divorce, death, cancer. And I know some of you may be still walking through something. So I've got that last verse for you. uh, But before I do that, I'm going to read a couple of verses before that. I want you to know these are the Holy Spirit words that he breathed two, three thousand years ago. He breathed these words to the Apostle Paul. I want you to hear the declaration of someone if you're walking through something. These are for you. Let it be God's word, not my word, God's word to you. Listen here. Now we have this treasure. That's the Holy Spirit of God living in you. If you're a Jesus follower, he's in you. We have this treasure in jars of clay. We're just broken pots. So that the extraordinary power may be from God, not from us. Now here's the declaration. And and, and guys, believers, declare this when you're struggling with something. We are afflicted. Yes, we are. But... We're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed, because we carry the death of Jesus in our body, so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. See, the light shining through the cracks. And then I come to these verses here you see on your outline. Let me tell you, these verses are very dear to me. Some of my favorite in all of scripture because as a teenager, as a young adult, I saw no hope for my life, but I would go to church and hear these verses and I would get my Bible and read these verses. 
I say, God, I'm claiming this. Paul says this, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Let me read that again. Our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable, incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Listen, I want to see the unseen. Okay, I'm not talking the mystical here, but it's supernatural. We need to see with God's eyes. Listen, I had to see that. I wouldn't be. There's no way I should be here preaching the word of God with my life. All right? But yet God, his Holy Spirit told me, you can see there's something else for you here. The Apostle Paul even says it like this. He says, I consider the suffering of this present time not even worthy to be compared with the glory to be revealed in us. Now listen, I did not think my life growing up was momentary light affliction. That's what Paul, the Holy Spirit calls it through Paul. Momentary light. You may not think what you're going through, momentary and light. But God says, there's more to this thing here. I want to illustrate it like this. Many of you have seen this before. It's it's from Francis Chan. And I love this illustration of eternity and for those verses there. So this rope represents your life, my life. And you see it has beginning. When you were conceived and born, that's where it began. You know, God, there's no beginning, no end. Now, we have a beginning, but you know we have no end? That's what we just talked about. There's no end to you. You're, you're going to live forever in one place, heaven or hell. You follow Jesus, it's with, in heaven. But sometimes, you know, we sang that song about heaven, but do, are we going through the motions? Or are we really like, man, longing for that day of heaven where he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes? But usually we focus on this. See the red here? This is our life on earth. So do we focus on just here? We pour our whole life, our hopes and dreams, aspirations all into here. And I know we're humans and God expects us to do things here. We have to be mothers and fathers and work jobs and all that. But our perspective, is it all about this? Because when trials come in our life, does our world fall apart? Like, it's all about this. This is, no. God says it's about this and this and this and this forever, thousands, millions, billions of years. I know we, it's hard to conceive, but we've got to trust the promises of God that God has this planned for us here. Listen, when I think about heaven, of course, I have someone there. My mother's there now. If you have someone there, it becomes a little more real to you, I think. Um, if I were to ask you, do you look forward to heaven? You know, and I hear people say, uh, yes, one day. Of course, you know, I know that it mean well, and I've said that. So one day, I want to get married first, want to have kids, want to have grandkids, want to see Tennessee beat Alabama. So I know. Let's trust in the eternity, okay? <laughs> but we all have things that we kind of want to do. But God says, man, I've got so much more. He says, I've got immeasurably more you can think or imagine. And the person I think embodies this so much is Johnny Erickson Tata. There's a picture of her. And maybe you know her. She is paralyzed from the neck down. She had a diving accident at 17. She has touched literally millions around the world with her story. She has served so faithfully. And she says, you know, every day I pray for healing. God doesn't heal. Does that mean God's bad? No, God is good. Because I know one day he ultimately will heal me. 
Every day she has to be fed, dressed. But then she paints with a brush in her mouth. She writes to a dictator. And, and, and she just goes up, speaks everywhere around the world to encourage you people that this is not all there is. And she has a book called Heaven, Your Real Home. Let me tell you, you ought to get this book here, the Grace Book on Heaven here, Heaven, Your Real Home. In this book, she talks about this. She says, I'm living in this, yes, and it's hard every day, and I cry. But she says, every day I think about this and this and this. I think about heaven. And she describes her first day in heaven. This is one of my favorite parts of the book. She says, I picture seeing Jesus. And she says, I get to kneel for the first time in over 50, 60 years. I'll kneel before him. Then she says, I see Jesus coming to me, lifting my face up. Yes, come on, brother. I know. I know, man. He goes, Johnny, may I have this dance? Come on, don't get religious on me here, man. That's good stuff. Man, Baptists can dance, man. Dancing with Jesus. You know, he's going to come to you and say, man, let's go run. That guy does everything. And he's going to say, David, let's run. You're going to run through the galaxies, brother. God has so much planned for us. Immeasurably more than we can ask or think. So we'll be focused on. Paul said, don't focus on what's here. Certainly we do. We're humans. But then try to look at the unseen what God has for you. And God, he does, he is the deliverer, he is the healer. Today, he may heal you today of something you have. Or he may provide something for you today. Well, it may be longer. Like my childhood and teen, it was tough. All right? Are you focusing on the unseen here? Well, one of my favorite young pastors is Levi Lusco. Here's a picture of him and his wife and four of his five kids. The one that's not there is in heaven, Linda. She died at five, and he says it was the darkest day in him and his wife's life. But he says, every day we think about heaven, how real that is. And look at this quote of his. I love this quote. He says, the more you look forward to the next world, the less you'll need from this one. Wow. Where is your focus? So if you're, going, if you're walking, and we're all going to walk through storms and trials. So what are you focusing on? When the dream dies, when the boyfriend flies, when it seems you have no allies, every day you look around, it's cloudy skies. Keep your eyes on Jesus. When the cake don't rise, the baby cries and cries and cries. Those lousy neighbors are making your blood pressure rise. You get home from McDonald's, they still forgot my fries. (laughs) Keep your eyes on Jesus. When the best friend lies, when the wife or husband denies, when all your questions to God are full of why, why, whys, and your loved ones saying their last goodbyes, keep your eyes on Jesus. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So as we conclude this part of the service, we are going to focus on the unseen. That's Jesus. We don't see him. His Holy Spirit's in us by taking communion. Hope you got your elements there. Because this is the person, Jesus, who suffered more than any of us will ever suffer. He took the weight of the world, the sin of the world on him, was beaten unmercifully, okay, and beaten unrecognizably for us. 
So if you're walking through anything today, so I had several of the 930 service, you're walking through something. We'll have encouragers down here in a moment. And we want you to consider coming and bearing your soul, your burden, whatever that is. If you're walking through something, I want to give you a moment now. I'm going to pray for you. I want to give you a moment where you talk to God, lay a burden before him, prepare yourself to worship him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. God, I believe you are our healer, our deliverer. So in the name of Jesus, I pray for you to be the mighty God to my brothers and sisters in this room. I know some are walking through valleys, God. Well, I pray, God, I claim the promise that you said my grace is sufficient for you. I pray your grace flow, God, to my sister, my brother in this room. Lord, I pray for others, Lord, that are struggling with cancer, God, or struggling with lifelong abilities. Lord, I pray, God, you minister to them in a mighty way, God. Lord, for, for all of us, God, I pray, God, you would make us more like you. And may we trust you through the process as you have so much planned for us. So, God, right now, speak to our hearts as we wait for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale. And we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.